Well, hey, if you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, turn into the book of Proverbs, chapter, chapter 3. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, uh, says that the book of Proverbs is this, I quote, he said, it performs the function of putting godliness into working clothes. In other words, it's not a very churchy kind of book. It addresses the issues of our lives. He says it's intensely practical, distinctly uncomfortable, and immensely profitable. And each Sunday this summer, we're attempting to do just that, to give you intensely practical, distinctly uncomfortable, and immensely profitable wisdom from the book of Proverbs. I don't know if you found this to be true in your life. As I look back, I have ever since I was just a little boy, that sometimes the simplest messages are the hardest to obey or to grasp a hold of. You ever found that to be true? My dad used to say, why can't you get that through your thick skull? I go, I don't know. You know, that that was a typical answer of a kid. I don't know. I don't know. The simple thing I told you to do, you know, very simple, short command. Why can't you do that? Well, sometimes the simplest messages are the hardest to obey. The simplest messages also are the easiest to forget. And I really believe that one of the simplest messages in the book of Proverbs is only two words, and it rarely comes to our minds or crosses our lips until life suddenly turns dark and dreary or when life throws us a a curveball and we're not sure what to do or where to go for help. And it's during that time that all of a sudden these two words come to mind. What is the message? In its plain, simple language, it's this. Two words, trust God. Trust God. Very easy to say. You've had people say it to you at moments where you just wanted to tell them, don't say that to me, right? Where it's really dark and you don't know what the next step is. You don't know what God's doing, why he's doing it. And they say to you, trust God. And it's as if they just expect you to go, okay, I'll just trust God and woohoo, praise Jesus. Everything is good now, right? Very easy to say, very hard to do. I heard one person say this week as I was listening, (laughs) as I was looking at the topic of trust, I read this and this is is me. This is it right here. This can summarize my life in one sentence. Raisin cookies that look like chocolate chip cookies are the main reason I have trust issues. (laughs) I read that and I thought, I totally, totally agree. If you know me, I love cookies. I love those big soft ones like you get at Sam's Club or BJ's. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? They got chocolate chips in them or sometimes they have M&M's in them. And there is probably not many worse things on this planet than to look at a big soft cookie and think it's chocolate chip only to bite into it and realize that it is a chewy wilted grape. There isn't anything Worse to me than that, to look at a chocolate chip cookie to finally take the first bite and recognize that you have been duped, you have been deceived. They have tried to put fruit into something that was never meant to have fruit in it. It should have chocolate chips in it. And this lady said, that's where all my trust issues have stemmed from, raising cookies that look like chocolate chip cookies. And I submit that's my testimony. Let's pray. That's it for me. Have you ever thought about the ways, though, thinking of trust, have you ever thought about the ways in which 
We trust people or things daily in our lives. You ever thought about that? We get on airplanes, in fact. Some of you did this week. Some of you will next week or in the next few weeks before school starts again. And you'll go someplace on vacation. And you will get into an airplane, this big metal tube. You will get in there. You will sit down. You won't meet the pilot to make sure he's qualified or she's qualified. You won't, you won't meet them. You're just assuming, in fact, for most time, that door's already shut. And you won't even see them. So you don't know whether they're really there or not. And yet you will let them roar down a runway, get into the sky, be up 30, 35,000, 40,000 feet, 500 miles an hour cruising above the planet, and you think everything's okay. That's trust, right? And you trust that there's somebody in air traffic control that is guiding all the planes so that they don't get where they're supposed to not be. You just trust that. You ever thought about the food that you eat? Some of you, just a little while from now, you're going to go to restaurants. You're going to sit down at that restaurant. I recommend Lost Trace and Cary Park. Always a great Sunday choice. You're going to sit down there, and they're going to bring you food out to the table. You're never going to have gone into the kitchen. You don't know really what they cooked. They told you it was ground beef. You don't know what they cooked. You don't know who cooked it. You don't know if they washed their hands before they cooked it. You don't know anything about it, but when that food comes out, you're going to eat like there's no tomorrow because you're going to put all of your trust, all of your confidence in that kitchen and in that cook. All of us, just a little while from now, we're going to get in cars. We're going to drive down the road at some of you at speeds you probably shouldn't be going. And, and then all of a sudden, you're going to hit this little pedal and you're going to trust what? You're going to trust that all of the, that braking system that you don't understand, Right? Not many of you understand it. A couple of you might, but most of you, you don't understand how it works. You just trust that when I hit that pedal, what's going to happen? We're going to stop, right? Think about it. We place our trust and confidence in places, people, and in things, but one of the greatest truths for the follower of Jesus Christ is knowing that we can place our, our full confidence in the one who holds everything in his hand, and that is the sovereign God of the universe, that's an incredible thing when you think about that. We don't have to worry about the future. We don't have to worry about tomorrow, about what tomorrow is going to hold. We can have total confidence in him. In fact, the psalmist said it this way in Psalm 146, verse 3. He said, put not your trust in princess, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. The inference, obviously, is to put your trust in God. And so I want you, if you're there in the Bible with me, in Proverbs chapter 3, I want you to look at two very simple verses, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Probably my, my favorite Proverbs, and it's hard to narrow them down, uh, but that's probably my favorite text right there, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make straight your paths. The first thing we're told to do is we're told to Trust in the Lord. And that seems so easy. It's really easy to say, but it's really difficult to do. I think it's one of those phrases that we refer to sometimes as Christianese. We've all got them. We say things, and those are just kind of buzz phrases that we use at opportune moments. Just trust in the Lord. But there's so much more to it than just that. In fact, if you were to look in the book of Proverbs, there are about four different Hebrew words that are translated in our English text, the word trust. One of them means to roll on to. That's what it means to trust. Most of you did it last night, right? 
you rolled onto what? You rolled onto a mattress. And you trusted that that mattress was going to hold you up. The second word means, gives us the idea of to hope in another. To hope in somebody else. I hope that they will do this for me. I hope that they got that task accomplished that I asked them to do. The third word gives us the idea of, of someone that we flee to for refuge, as in a storm, that you go like a shelter and you go to it and, and you get under that and you're saved from the storm that's, that's around you. The last word, the Hebrew word, is batach. All right, say it with me. Batach. All right, you know you said it right if there's something on the neck of the person in front of you. And I just saw somebody that wiped the person in front of them. Very interesting. If you want to go and take care of that right now, you can slip out. I'll understand for sure. Batak, okay, you got to get that little roll the tongue back there. It means to lean on or to set one's hope and confidence upon to lie helpless face down. All right, here's the idea. It pictures a servant that's waiting for a master's command in readiness to obey. They realize that, that this is the boss and I stand eagerly, or in this case, I kneel anxiously, ready for the command that this person who's in authority to me, ready for them to tell me what they want me to do. The other picture is a defeated soldier who is yielding himself to a conquering general. So in other words, it is an army, and they've been conquered by a general, and the army goes in, and the, ar or the, the, the conquering soldiers go in, and they recognize we've been conquered. We have a responsibility now to the conquering power, and they yield themselves completely in servitude towards that authority. That's what that word batak means, to have total confidence in, to, to lean on, to lie helpless face down before them. That's what we're told when King Solomon tells us that we are to trust in the Lord. And so it is when life throws me a curve. We've all had those, right? You've had those times in your life when life has thrown you a curveball. In fact, if we were to have a testimony time right now and I were to pass a microphone down the aisles, uh, there are probably some of you that could say, hey, just this week, uh, life threw me a curveball. Something happened that I wasn't expecting. It's what happens when I get a report from a doctor that I never expect to hear. It's what happens when my kids make poor choices and the consequences are devastating, not only to them, but to the rest of the family as well. It's when I get a pink slip at work and I literally have absolutely no idea how I'm going to pay next month's mortgage payment. It's when the storms of life are greater than what I think I can possibly survive and I don't have any idea what I'm supposed to do next. That's what I mean when I say when life throws you a curveball, that's when you begin to understand. You begin to acknowledge that most of us have trust issues and it's not just over raisins and chocolate chip cookies. This is when the simple little message, trust God, is either theory or it's fact in our lives. One Bible teacher came up with a list of 14 statements that I have pondered over this week. In fact, I was telling Diana, I, I heard these and I thought, well, there'll be someplace on the internet, right? And so you go to Google and you search and you think you've got, and they're, they're, they weren't listed. And I literally had to go back and I had to, and I had to listen to this whole sermon again and write these things down because they were so great, but they're not published anywhere else. 
And basically what he wanted to do was he wanted uh, his listeners to evaluate themselves to see whether they really had an issue with regards to trusting God. I would say to you this morning, for many of us here this morning that would, that would say we're followers of Jesus Christ, we are trusting in God for all of eternity. That means that we believe that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins. And we have placed our trust in Christ alone as our personal savior. And we believe that one day when we die, we will go to be with him forever and ever because our sin debt has been marked paid in full. We have no problem with that trust. But trusting on a daily basis is a much different thing. I want you to take this little uh, test. I want you to evaluate yourself as I read you these 14 things. They've already been very convicting to me. And lest I be the only one that's convicted, I'm going to convict you as well. I'm going to read them to you. All right? And I'm just going to read all 14 statements. And I want you in your mind because you're not going to be able to write them down. I'm going to go quick. I I want you just to go problem, problem, problem problem, okay? And I'm going to be encouraged if, uh, if you're struggling with at least 10 out of the 14, because that's what I kind of recognized for myself. Let me start. When you choose to worry, you do not trust God. When you try to fix the complicated, you don't trust God. <clears throat> when you think you can handle the impossible, you don't trust God. When you hurry ahead and don't wait, you do not trust God. When you lie awake, twisting and turning in your bed, you don't trust God. When you doubt biblical precepts, principles, and promises, you don't trust God. When you listen to human counsel and give it higher priority than Scripture, you do not trust God. When you manipulate and maneuver to get your way, you don't trust God. When you step in and take charge rather than praying and being led clearly to do so, you do not trust God. When you resist leaning on God and you promote yourself so that others will notice and you rely on your own ingenuity and creativity to become known, you do not trust God. When you cling to others in order to feel secure, loved, and needed, you don't trust God. When you struggle with God's leading and you fight change and resist his plan, you don't trust God. When you understand his word and you know what is right to do and you don't do it, you do not trust God. And then lastly, when death takes someone significant from you and you continue to think that you should have done this or that to prolong their life, you don't trust God. How'd you do? I only had one or two where I went, I think I'm good on that. But for the most part, I got to the end and I went, I trust God for eternity, but I'm not sure I act like I trust him on a daily basis. You see how easy it is to say that we trust God and yet we live as if we do not? And trusting God means not only trusting him as our savior, but it also means daily leaning on him and having confidence in him, even when we can't see his hand physically doing what, what needs to be done. We trust his character. We, we trust who he is. That's what it means to trust in the Lord. Now, if that weren't hard enough, now he's going to tell us how to do just that, how to lean on to have full confidence in God. He's going to tell us how to do that. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. With all your heart means we don't rely on plan B. 
Now, now, lest you misunderstand me, I'm not saying that you shouldn't make plans, that you shouldn't have plans. Uh, the New Testament surely tells us that we are to make plans, we're to, we're to plan, that's part of being a disciplined person. But when you love, when you trust God with all of your heart, it means that you're not relying on plan B. If you're like me, I have plan A, B, C, D, and E for just about everything. And I can tell you what I'm going to do. If this doesn't happen, I'm going to do this. And if this doesn't, it gets back to that manipulation, by the way, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so I've got that plan. When we trust God with all of our heart, it means that's it. That's all we have. If God doesn't show up, if God doesn't do something, then we are in a heap of trouble. That really should sound familiar to those of you that call Northwest your home, because that's what we just did in our capital campaign. We were in a position with our capital campaign where if God did not show up, trust me, you didn't know this at the time, but I was going to have to sit, stand up in front of you and tell you, thank you for what you've given. We're going to do this again, and we're going to keep giving until we get to at least a certain number. If we would have done what a consultant said we could do, there was no plan B, C, D, E. We were all in. God had to show up. He had to do something really big, or it was going to be pretty embarrassing for me. Trusting God with all of your heart, I think, is like jumping out of an airplane. Any of you ever done that? Nobody's ever jumped out of an airplane. All right, one foolish person, and um, we've only got one. We had like six in the first hour. Okay, now another one's going well. If he's going to admit it, I will too. All right, come on. How many of you have jumped out of an airplane? Only two of you? I don't understand that. I don't get that. Just yesterday, I'm, I'm uh, uh, looking on Facebook, and I realize there's this girl that was in my student ministry at Colonial, and and she jumped out of an airplane yesterday. It was on her bucket list. She wanted to jump out of an airplane. I learned not too long ago that my older sister, that's on her bucket list. She wants to jump out of an airplane. And I'm going, well, that would have been easy. Boy, when we were kids, I'd have pushed you out. I mean, that wouldn't have been a problem. If I would have known that was your desire, that wouldn't have been a problem. I don't get that whole thing. Do you know when you go up in an airplane, two of you know this, and you jump out of that airplane, you are all in, aren't you? I mean, you're all in. I mean, you got plan A. Now you say, well, no, I got plan B because there's a backup parachute. I get that, but it's all parachute, right? That's your plan. You don't have a net at the bottom that says, well, you know, hey, if the parachute doesn't come out, I'll just jump onto that big net and I'll bounce up into the air and eventually I'll come back to earth and everything will be counted. You are all in and you are trusting completely in that parachute. And when you jump out of that airplane, you're saying, I am putting all of my confidence in this parachute. And if this parachute doesn't open, I'm going to pull the other one. And if that one doesn't open, it's a bad day in the sky. It's a really bad day. And I'm going to enjoy the, the rapid descent. And I'm going to look out over God's creation because the next thing I know when I hit the earth, I'm going to see Jesus. You are all in when you jump out of that airplane. And to me, that is the best analogy that I could give to what, the, the, to what uh, Solomon is talking about here when he says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. It is like jumping out of that airplane and saying, the parachute is all I got. If this parachute doesn't open up, it's going to be messy. It's not going to be good. I have no plan B. I'm in a heap of trouble. That is what it means to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You are all in. Here's the problem. For many of us, you've never lived a day of your life that way. 
You've never lived a day of your life that way. Everything in your life has to be right in front of you. You have to see what the outcome is. You've planned, you've strategized. In some cases, you've manipulated it. And if you can't see what it is, you would never take a leap of faith because at the end of the day, while you trust God with your eternity, you do not trust him daily in your life. That's just true for a lot of us. Trusting God with all of our heart means we are all in. And then he says, and don't lean on your own understanding. We trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We are completely leaning on him and we have confidence in him alone. When we lean on our own understanding, it's just the opposite. We place our confidence in ourselves. Your own understanding is a reference to all that you are and and have without the presence of God. It is your human intellect. It's your five senses. It's the best knowledge that you have. It's the input that you have from the people that are around you. And you gather all of that and then you make a decision. That's what it means to lean on your own understanding. And God's not in the picture at all. And it goes totally contrary, by the way, to that next verse that we're not going to look at this morning, but it's, but it's right there in verse 7 where Solomon says, don't be wise in your own eyes. And if anybody ought to know that, it ought to be Solomon. We'd do well, in fact, to look just real briefly at, at, at his own words that he's written there in contrast to the way that he lived his life and the dangers that come from leaning on your own understanding. If you remember, he started off brilliantly as a king, didn't he? By asking God for wisdom. I really believe if God came down today and he said, Brian, I'll give you one thing, what do you want? Wisdom wouldn't be the first thing on my list. I probably should, I probably need that, but it wouldn't be the first thing. I could think of all kinds of other things, but Solomon was wise enough even at that point to say, I want wisdom, give me wisdom. And at first Solomon pleased God and he was obedient to him, but then he began to think that he knew better than God and he acquired armies for himself and he imported horses from Egypt and he accumulated vast amounts of silver and gold. The biblical account makes it very clear that he built himself a palace that was more opulent even than the temple that he was building for God. He had 700 wives. Where was the wisdom there? 300 conquests. I don't say that's... Okay, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a, like it's supposed to be a funny moment, like who needs a wife? It's just like 700 of them, right? I mean, I'm just going to leave that alone. We'll, we'll, save that. we'll save that for our series White Picket Fences coming in September to a school near you. He had 700 wives, and then if that weren't enough, he had 300 concubines. And he began to oppress people. All of these things were in direct violation to what he knew well in Deuteronomy 17 that he was to do and not to do. And yet he simply thought he knew better than God. He leaned on his own understanding and the eventual result was that there was a split in the kingdom of Israel and effectively uh, that uh, ended God's people together as a whole nation. Let me make sure that you get this this morning. If in the same way, if we persist on leaning on our own understanding rather than trusting God with all of our hearts, we will face the same results. Some of you this morning, you wonder why your life is the way that it is right now. Why you've gone down the paths that you've gone down and made some of the decisions that you've made and as a result had some of the consequences that you've had in your life or in the life of your family. Can I suggest to you this morning that maybe it's because you have leaned too much on your own understanding rather than trusting in the Lord your God with all of your heart. 
Most of us have a desperate desire to understand, but in so many ways, we have to acknowledge that we cannot understand. We have to trust God's ways even when we don't comprehend them. Some of you have learned that lesson well. When God has allowed something in your life which you never would have chosen and you've asked God why and yet you have continued to trust, you understand that, but you also understand that there's a a desperate desire to understand. Isaiah, I think, said it well when he said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, the bottom line is that God sees the whole picture, doesn't he? While we only see a a tiny corner of it, he sees the whole thing. And all of those tumultuous things that that come into your life, that happen in your life, and and you look at it and you say, God, I never would have chosen that. Why have you done that? God sees the whole thing. One author said it this way, we look at life in the back of a tapestry. If you've ever looked at the back of a tapestry, and some of you uh, do that, that, that kind of uh, embroidery and needlepoint, and, and it looks so, so unkempt, and all of the, the, the threads are hanging all over the place, God sees the front of the tapestry while we look at the back. And to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts means that we, can, we, we, we can't place our own right to understand about, about, above his right to direct our lives in the way that he sees fit. And when we insist on God always making sense in our finite minds, then we are setting up for spiritual trouble. Our limited understanding often leads us astray. In fact, later in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, it says, there is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. Yet every one of us has to daily make a decision in our life whether we're going to live according to our personal preference, according to what we see and what makes sense to us, or whether we're going to cling to the unchanging word of God and to trusting the Lord our God with all of our hearts. Solomon continues in verse 6. He says, In all your ways, acknowledge him or submit to him. We usually don't fight hard against The fact that since God is God, that we should acknowledge him as God, at least in some areas of our life. And yet, I I think that there's this problem that's running right through the lives of many of us. And it's a a divide between the the sacred and the secular. You, You walk into church and you're with your Christian friends here. And all of a sudden, this is the place that we are supposed to acknowledge God and acknowledge who he is and be submissive to his will. But all of a sudden, a few moments from now, when we exit this building, we enter into the secular world, the secular side of our life. And all of a sudden, we think that there's a separation there. At the core of this assumption is that God really only cares about what I do on Sunday morning and not uh, what I do the rest of my week. He just wants me to come to church on Sunday morning and check a box and make sure I have my whizzy button on my t-shirt and that I've done everything that I was supposed to do. It's the assumption that God cares uh, whom I give my money to, but he doesn't care how I earn it on Monday morning. It's the assumption that God cares which church I go to, but he doesn't care about what house I live in or what house I purchased. It's the assumption that God cares about my Bible reading, but he doesn't care about my television viewing. It's the assumption that God cares about my sin, but he doesn't care about any of the issues that I have at work. It is that divide that we have set up that is a divide between the sacred and the secular. And it shouldn't be there. You ever been in love? 
Have you? Seriously. It's going, no, I haven't been in love. Quit looking at me. All right, if you're here with your spouse, the answer hopefully is yes, I still am. You know what it's like to be in love. He's still going, I, no, I don't. I really don't know what it's like to be in love. You're going you're gonna to understand this someday. All right, Andrew, you're going to understand it. Okay, but not right now. You don't need to, not right now. It's too complicated, all right? But if you've ever been in love, you understand this. All right, listen to me. Take notes. You guys should have your pens out because this is important stuff right here. It's going on right now. You think about that person all the time. That's how you're going to know, Andrew. That's how you're going to know one day when you're in love. Because all of a sudden, you're going to be thinking about this person. You're going to be thinking about them all the time. It's no longer just about you. You're going to be thinking about them all the time. Am I right, married couples? Just go like this. Yep, that's what it's all about. Your dad's back there. He's shaking his head going, yep, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. You're going to be thinking about them all the time. It's not just about you. You're going to acknowledge them, and as a result of the decision to love them and have them in your life, you're going to make sacrifices for them. You're going to do things, guys, that you never thought you would do. That's what's going to happen one day when you're in love. You say, how do you know that? Well, I've been in love, and I am in love. And I would do that. I have a 21-year-old son. He's in love. You say, how do you know that? Well, about uh, actually after being at Lake Ann Camp uh, in 2012, so a little over two years ago, he came back with this cute little blonde-haired girl, and um, I thought the relationship would not last, but hey, it has lasted. Now, here's what's really funny. Jordan just uh, spent um, 30 days at Fort Knox, and uh, about halfway through that 30 days, um, in fact, he got home. He got home Thursday night. We got him from the airport, got him home about 10, 10.30. And at 4.45 the next morning, he was on his way back to the airport so that he could fly up to Michigan to be with this cute little blonde-haired girl. I know that he loves her with all of his heart, that he is all in. He is acknowledging her. You say, how do you know that? Well, about halfway through this 30 days at Fort Knox, I look on Facebook, and here's his girlfriend. She posts a picture of this, of this, um, uh, this uh, uh, flower arrangement that just appeared at her workplace. And I, I, Jordan, Jordan is like, he doesn't like to spend money at all. He, he'd like to go to a restaurant, pick up scraps off the table, and eat that rather than have to buy his own meal. Okay, He just doesn't like to spend money. I've told him not to be a cheapskate as it comes to this girl. You know, at least wait till she marries you, and then you can turn that switch on. But hey, it's good advice. It's my responsibility as a father. It's what, it's what we do, right? And sure enough, this kid who had no cell phone up there, I know this, they take it away from you right when you get there. He has no cell phone. He has no access to the Internet. He has, in his vast forethought, which he's known for, right? He thinks ahead all of the time. He's never thought ahead about anything. And yet he plans midway through my time at Fort Knox, flowers are going to show up to this beautiful blonde-haired girl who's surrounded by all of these guys who have real jobs. They already have diplomas. And she is going to remember me because I have acknowledged her. And that's what he did. And so about midway through the time, all these flowers show up. And I went, the dude is in love. Let me just tell you, that's what it means to acknowledge somebody. 
They become part of who you are. There is no separation. In everything you do, even if you're going to Fort Knox for 30 days, you think about, hey, midway through, they're not going to be able to order those flowers, so I better plan ahead and make sure that she knows that she is in the center of my attention, that I love her more than anything else. And he pulled it off. Chip off the old block, I'd say. (laughs) Pulled it off well. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. One translation said, it is your reasonable service. If God is God and you're not and I'm not and we have submitted to him as the Lord of our life, then that's what we're supposed to do. We are to acknowledge him, not just in the sacred, but in the sacred and the the secular. He is to be at the center of our lives. Every decision we make, everything we do is with him in mind. And that's where so many of us fail to get it. Jesus should not just be the Lord of parts of our lives. He wants all of us. And we have to acknowledge that and submit to him in every single area of our lives. Not just while you're here on a Sunday morning or while you're around your Christian friends. But when you leave here today, you have got to acknowledge him in every single area of your life. That's what it means to trust in him completely. Francis Chan wrote this, The call to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is open to everyone. But we don't get to write our own job description. It's up to him. And so what is the result of trusting the Lord with all of your heart? Of not assuming that you you know everything? What's the result of submitting to God in every single area of your life? Some of us wonder why our paths are not straight and why everything seems to be complicated and everything seems to be confusing and and why we have problems making decisions and we don't know which way to go and and what to do and and how to respond. And as parents, sometimes we don't know how to parent and we don't know how how to lead and how to give counsel and all of those things. Maybe it's because we're not trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. We're, not, we're assuming we know more than we know, and we're not submitting to God in every area of our life because when we do those things, the end of verse 6 says, he will make straight our paths. The result is your path is straight. Now that may sound like, hey, all you have to do is, is trust the Lord with all your heart and don't assume you know everything and don't lean on just what you know yourself and, and, and submit to God in every area of your life. And man, life is going to be awesome. It's not that simple. I wish that was how it worked. But it does say he will make your path straight and that is predicated on our obedience to the Lord. For many of us, the reason why there's so much confusion in our lives, the reason why we don't know where we should go and what we should do and and how we should spend our time and what job we should be in and and who we should, should have relationships with, it's because we don't walk with God. We're not obedient to God. The only way that life is ultimately going to make any sense is when God is given his rightful place in our lives. The bottom line is that he is the sovereign God of the universe. 
And whether you submit to him or not, whether I submit to him or not, doesn't change the fact that he holds every single one of our lives, every single detail of our lives, he holds right there in his hand. It's a mind-boggling thing to think about. Every, every single thing that has ever happened to you, to every other person on this planet, to every other person that has ever walked on this planet, or every other person that will walk on this planet, God knows every single one of those details. And here's the really cool thing, that he loves us more than we can ever imagine. He has a perfect plan and purpose for our lives. He wants to use every event of our lives for our good, but ultimately for his glory. That's what it is all about. Now here's the sad truth, and that is this. That for many sitting here this morning, you will never be able to trust God like that in your life. You say, well, how do you know that? That's a pretty arrogant statement to say that I will never be that, be that way. Well, here, here's, here's the bottom line. All of this is predicated, this relationship of trust with Jehovah God begins when we place our trust in Christ alone as our Savior. See, you can never trust him with your daily life unless you have trusted him with eternity. The Bible makes it very clear that we've all sinned and because of that sin we've been separated from God. We've been separated from a relationship that we were, that we were created to have because of our sin. In John 3.16, which is a verse many of us learned when we were children, says that God loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus to die on a cruel cross to pay the debt that he didn't owe in order that we might not have to pay a debt that we owed and could not pay any other way. He did that because he loves us. And when we place our trust in Christ alone as our Savior, we come into a relationship. We were created to have a relationship with God. And then we have confidence not only in the daily things of life, but much greater than that, we have confidence for eternity to know that our souls are secure in heaven. That when we leave this planet, we don't just cease to exist. We don't just go into a hole in the ground, but we go to eternally be with Jesus in heaven. You'll never be able to trust God daily in your life and to have your paths be made straight unless you are trusting in God for eternity. I want to close with the words of pastor and author Max Lucado. Some of you read a lot of his books. He wrote this. You can afford many wrong choices in your life. You can choose the wrong career and you can survive. The wrong city and you can survive. The wrong house, and you can survive. But there's one choice that must be made correctly, and that is your eternal destiny. It's what you do with Jesus. Some of us, unfortunately, are more concerned about God just kind of helping us through the details of this life, that we have forgotten the wisest and the biggest decision that we'll ever make, and that is what we will do with Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. And that is what is foundational in order for us to trust in the Lord our God with all of our heart, to lean not into our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him, and he makes our ways straight. He gives our lives uh, purpose and meaning, not just for now, but for eternity. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, now as we close this service, I pray for that 
person that's sitting here that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Savior. God, it's so easy to, to be consumed and concerned with, with just simply wanting to be able to trust you to work in the daily details of our life and forget the most significant decision that any one of us will ever make, and that is what we will do with Jesus. God, I pray right now that you would use your spirit to convince and convict us that being good is not good enough. We'll never be good enough. We've missed the mark. Our good deeds will never get us to heaven. It is only by placing our trust in Christ alone that we come into a relationship that we were created to have. God, would you use your spirit right now to move in hearts of those that need to cross over that line of faith? Some that are really good people and yet are only missing a relationship with Jesus by about 18 inches, what they know in their head and what they know in their heart. God, I pray that you'd use your Holy Spirit to convince and convict them of that. And God, for many of us here today, we've crossed that line of faith. We are trusting in Christ alone as our personal Savior, but we failed miserably that evaluation of those 14 questions. We don't daily trust you in our lives. We trust more in ourselves. We trust more in the people around us than we do. The sovereign God of the universe. God, I pray that this morning you would convict us of that. I pray that you would move in our hearts. I pray that we would have confidence in you to lean on you. We would not be wrapped up in our finite human wisdom and think we know it all. God, I pray that we would acknowledge you and give you your rightful place in our lives if you truly are Lord of our life. God, when, when that happens, I pray that we'll rest comfortably trusting, having confidence in, and leaning on the sovereign God of the universe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.